Welcome back to The Deeper Cut, a podcast ministry of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. My name is Tim Pasek. I'm one of the ruling elders at Mercy Hill, and I am delighted to be with you again this week. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host and our pastor at Mercy Hill, Phil Henry. Phil, how are you doing today? Doing good, Tim. Right as you... You caught me eating an orange. (laughs) I timed that perfectly. Perfectly. How is the food? (laughs) That's what the the waiter's timing, right? (laughs) Well, we'll leave it in because, you know, it's just genuine, but we could just restart the whole thing and no one would know any better. But I, I like I like being raw and unedited sometimes. So this is not the deeper cut, but the raw cut. Yeah, uh-huh. well, yeah, maybe maybe it's both. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's great to be with you again this week, Phil. It feels like it wasn't that long ago when we were sitting in the studio recording. Mm-hmm. So um, we had a late recording last week and an early one this week. Oh, and that's what it was because it was until later in the week. Yeah. Um, I wondered why you weren't as welcome a sight as you normally are. <laughs> <laughs> well, you saw me yesterday too, so you've, you've seen a lot of Tim in the past That's four true. or five days. Um, but it's it's a beautiful day, and looking forward to our conversation this morning as we continue in the um, sermon series at Mercy Hill on the patriarchs. And uh, this week we actually have a matriarch before us um, to speak about, Sarah or Sarai. Um, without jumping ahead, maybe just because we we always talk a little bit about <coughs> the homiletics at the beginning here. Um, you mentioned the you know names, obviously played an important part in your sermon, and we'll get into that. And you, in the prior weeks, mentioned you know Abram being Abraham, and obviously in the passage this week, it's um, I think it's in seventeen, right where. God changes Sarah's name from Sarai to Sarah. Um, is there any meaning change in those? Like the name, the word changes meaning? The ESV footnote says they mean the same thing. But the ESV footnotes are um, designed to, to be smooth and simple. They're not intended to introduce huge... Yeah, it's a footnote. Crisis of faith in in the reader. You know, this is for the lay person. The commentators um, make hay over Sarai versus Sarah, but uh, unusually, they're just not sure. Mm-hmm. So we're just not sure. So I think uh, when, when I saw that really smart guys across the spectrum don't really know, mm-hmm. and then the ESV says they mean the same thing, then... Um, the key would be that uh, princess, which is Sarai or Sarah, probably both mean princess. Mean maybe Sarah means great princess. So just oh, I'm okay. making that up. But <clears throat> it comes the name change comes in the context that the promise isn't just that she'll have children, but that amongst her offspring will be kings, mm. and the kings of Sarah will rule the nations. Now, that's something to think about. Yeah. Because if Jesus can trace his human uh, biology to Sarah, then he is the king of the nations, the king of kings, Mm. which is what that means. He's Mm. the lord of the nations. And Psalm 2 says the kings of the earth uh, are, are licking the dust if they're smart. 
in front of his feet. So um, all of a sudden, in Sarah's name, we have a messianic prophecy. Hmm. Well, that sounds like a good enough uh, explanation. You yeah, put well, that in your commentary. <laughs> um, isn't it interesting that such tidbits, as rich as that, don't make the sermon? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that that's w- a worth a sermon all on its own. <laughs> but you know, we have to we kind of scoop into the to the treasure trove of scriptures and. Nuggets like that. I mean, you've 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 got to tune into the deeper cut. There's nowhere else to put it. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to go Calvin on us and and preach a sermon on Genesis every day for the next three years. Uh, no. Or Lloyd Jones, you know, yeah. one or the other. Yeah. Although it is it is humbling, and it wasn't just Calvin, but the the Swiss reformers in general expected that the minister of the word would preach three or four times a week. That was just an expectation. Mm. I get that, that little historical footnote from... Well, they uh, had no podcast, so... They didn't. They didn't. So we'll, we'll call this one of my teaching episodes, and um, we are starting a communicants class and maybe an international student's Bible study, so I'm up to three or four. Me, Zwingli, Calvin, you know. Yeah, you're right up there. I'm right up there. <laughs> You know, funnily enough, funnily is my my uh, one of my favorite words to use. But uh, you know, Philip Henry does show up probably next to some of those names on occasion because there was a wasn't there a Puritan um, pastor and yes commentator Philip Henry. Yep, and his son was Matthew Henry, who is my brother. See, so if you can figure out those family dynamics, let me know. Two dead men who are living brothers. <laughs> um, we kind of jumped in already, head first. But you just mentioned, you know, th- that would have been a great sermon in and of itself about Sarah's name and <coughs> the, the mess- messianic promise being given um, to Sarah there in Genesis seventeen. There were a lot of parts of the story that you know you just unless we're going to spend the next couple years going through genesis you just can't get to all of them this week you had three texts that were kind of separated there's a lot of abraham's life and sarah's life that happened in between those texts so how do you make that i guess what drew you to that particular topic i guess would be you know, you have one week to talk about Sarah, mm-hmm. you know, to keep on schedule with the planned um, series. And I'm sure that if the Spirit leads, you, you'll alter that, obviously. But, you know, if you, you had planned that, so how do you, how, how'd you pick the scoop, you mm-hmm. know, to use your reference or your imagery? Um, yeah, so the, the, the portioning of, of texts is always a matter of prayer and the leading of the Holy Spirit. But in this case, there's a lot of human involvement because we have 39 chapters related to four generations, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, so the bulk of Genesis is about four men, which is remarkable. Mm-hmm. And and countless uh, verses, not countless, but many, many verses in the New Testament too about those four. That that's true. That's that's very true. Um, and of these thirty-nine chapters, beginning in Genesis chapter twelve. The faults of these men seem to be placarded especially large for us to observe. There's no attempt to uh, airbrush, you know, the, the, the saying used to be to airbrush out the, the now I guess it's um, Photoshop is the new, <laughs> the new airbrush. And Photoshop is probably old. Probably AI just automatically takes our blemishes and makes us all look like beautiful sameness. Yeah, I don't, I could go down a rabbit hole on, okay. on that. Um, I will say this only because I saw it yesterday and it stuck in my head like, ooh, I would like to talk about that at some point. So I'm going to put a pin in this one mm-hmm. for future conversation. But I saw a advertisement on TV uh, commercial for Google's new phone, their latest smartphone. And the whole selling point 30-second commercial was that the camera has AI built into it. And so it will, you can change your expression. You can move yourself around. Like you could do all the editing in the photo right as you you take it and you can immediately remove things. You can, you know, if it looks like you're jumping, you can make yourself jump higher, you know, and things like you can change all these things. Oh, my goodness. And I'm thinking to myself, Phil, I'm not one for wanting to be photographed. But if you're going to take a photo, the whole point, in my mind, is to capture that moment in time for memory's sake. Mm-hmm. And now the whole point is to fake whatever it was that happened in reality. Wow. It just has completely... Anyway, uh, I'm going to get down off my soapbox <laughs> for a minute, and we'll go back to what you are talking about. Well, let's but, just on the soapbox once more... My family has Native American roots through my grandmother, who was Choctaw Indian. And um, didn't the Native Americans believe that some, anyway, that if you took someone's picture, something about the soul? Yeah, like, yeah, something about their spirit or their soul. So, or you something know, the farther like we go forward, and, and you know, um, the, the, the more we advance, the more we see wisdom in these strange, superstitious practices of old. Hmm. That there's, they, they weren't as crazy. I mean, it's irrational. It's not scientific, surely. Yeah. Um, perhaps we could say it's mystical. But speaking from a Christian standpoint, I do know a man, well, my, my, my mentor and pastor, Tim, uh, lost two brothers, tragically, before they turned 18, which means his parents lost two of their children mm. while they were still young, sons. And the, uh, fa- the father, Joe Bailey, apparently, and I may be missing the anecdote here, but uh, didn't believe in taking pictures. Just he wanted to remember in his mind mm-hmm. the experience and not, in a sense, even a photograph itself capturing all of that reality 
represents a little bit of an AI boost to the memory. Right. You know, so just those two anecdotes on pictures. I don't know how we get back to Abraham from there, Tim. I don't Tim. know either. I don't know. I will say this, that God didn't give us pictures. No, but he gave us the book. Yep. And, the, and the book does preserve in gory detail uh, Abraham's faults. Uh, yeah. In, in 12, we see him leaving Egypt, or leaving Canaan to go to Egypt because of a famine. In 13, we see him uh, which is, and then he surrenders his wife to Pharaoh right. to save his own life. Uh, in 13, we see him negotiating with Lot, his his younger nephew, yeah, yeah. about because they had they had grown rich in Egypt. And one one uh, commentator noticed that when Lot and his family and Abraham and his family leave Egypt, they are extremely wealthy. And it's a preview of what's going to happen when um, Moses leaves Egypt with the people, with all the wealth of the Egyptians. Yeah. From like Exodus 12, 13, we're told that. Likewise, the plague on Pharaoh's house in Genesis 12 mirrors the plagues that will f befall Pharaoh when he refuses to let the people go in, in the Exodus account. So the Bible is setting itself up to be read in a certain way. Um, I mentioned in my sermon that Adam and Eve become kind of a paradigm couple that gets that, that we see Adam-like qualities in every husband and king and priest and prophet from then on. And then likewise Eve, we see Eve-like qualities, good and bad, in every wife uh, and help me throughout the rest of the biblical story. So when you get to Abraham and you see what's going on with him in Egypt, likewise, Abraham is one of these towering figures who cast a shadow on the rest of the Bible. And so Moses is just living out dramatic events 400 years later that Abraham already lived out in uh, kind of in Nuche, in, in seed form. Mm. So to to your question, how do I decide what, what to pick? I wanted to talk about a woman. Um, Sarah's the best woman to talk about in Genesis, both because her, her faults are quite obvious, and I, I concentrated on some of those on Sunday, but her virtues are forevermore praised. I don't know if you've got it in front of you, but Hebrews 11, 11. Yeah. That's the text in the Hall of Fame passage where... Um, speaking of airbrush, the author of Hebrews seems to overlook all of Sarah's faults. Yep. And she comes up looking like us, just like like she's in the Mount Rushmore herself. Yeah. I was going to say, actually, that um, Abraham as well, Sarah, all, most of these patriarchs, matriarchs in the New Testament, Paul and some of the other authors, like you, they don't point out the warts. No. Uh, Galatians four, right? Sarah and Hagar and the and it's the, it's remarkable because you when you read Genesis, Hagar evidently, superficially at least, is more godly than Sarah. Yeah, I mean, up until when she mocks Sarah in Genesis twenty-one, that was a fourth instance of laughter that I just couldn't 
couldn't figure out how to include it. It, it didn't make the cut. It's, it's in the deeper cut now. But read Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, Sarah, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. And then 12 is, Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. First of all, what a beautiful um, riff on the Abrahamic promise. Mm. You know, this author is taking Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and Genesis 15, 1 through 6, 17, and I think before that we started recording, we counted up at least five or six re-articulations, re-expressions of the promise to Abraham. In Genesis 12, it occurs twice. In Genesis 13, it occurs once. None in 14, and then twice in 15, and then again in Genesis 17, and then again, maybe twice in 17, again in 18, and then in Genesis 20, and then in Genesis 21. You know, God, and of course, and then in Genesis 22 is the final time with Isaac's mm-hmm. Uh, on Mount Moriah. So that's just beautiful how how poetically recombined the Abrahamic promises in 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 the, in the inspired author to Hebrews. But so Sarah is um, is quite the woman of faith here. Does that match with the picture that I painted, Tim, on Sunday, or am I am I needing to be? Um, hauled up before Presbytery on charges for misrepresenting <laughs> no, Scripture? No, not at all. But I think that you were fair, just like Moses, in his recording um, of the reality of these, of these people, right? Like they, they were not perfect people. They, they, had their, they had their warts, they had their struggles, Sarah, and... and um, what that highlights is not <clears throat> some that a girl Sarah, you know, way to go, way to kind of turn it around. It highlights God's grace. Mm-hmm. Um, is is anything too difficult for God? No. Look what He did with. Look, not only look at what He did through Sarah, but look what He did with Sarah. You know, and, and she goes from laughing in unbelief to laughing like Abraham where it's like, I can't believe this is happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, she got, God told her what to name her son, but she went through with it and named him Isaac. And mm-hmm. you pointed that out. Like, like this is forever imprinted in your face, Sarah, you know, that every time you call your son, you know, he mm-hmm. laughs. So, so God's either, unbothered and then therefore chuckling like a father to the to the misbehavior of a child which isn't really bothering him Mm. you know so that could be he laughs like is it god's laughter uh is it he or she meaning like abraham or sarah every time you call your son you're gonna laugh because you're gonna remember how good i've been to you or is it all of your friends are going to join in praise with you meaning like kind of a he they laugh like like he, your your neighbor's laughing mm. because they just can't believe how God, how good. I think it's all of them. I, I do too, I do too. But it, it's nice that it's this flexible pronoun. Yeah, that can have multiple meanings. I yeah. think. I think ultimately it's a reminder of God's 
promise and his promise keeping. Right. So back back to your question though, why Sarah? I think it was my second point where I emphasized the importance of the Christian family. And our cultural moment is one in which patriarchy is um, by most people seem seem to be if it's either irrelevant or um, treasonous. Hmm. There's not a lot. There's not a lot in between of those two choices. Yeah. So. So. Um, Calling Abraham a patriarch is a safe move on my part because if we're going to refer to anybody as a patriarch, may as well do so, do so to someone who's 3,000 years old. Because <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. Because they had patriarchs then. And so at the very least, I could just defend myself historically by saying, well, um, in their day, they were patriarchs though we know much better now that patriarchy is either irrelevant or treasonous. But I'm also saying that because Abraham is the father of all who believe, mm -hmm. if he was a patriarch, then patriarchy can't be irrelevant. Or, and if it's treasonous, then it might be worth it. So that's a comment on the series. And, and it's, not, it's not a point I'm trying to, I'm not trying to beat a political drum here I'm trying to preach the scriptures, but um, indirectly, I'm I'm trying to let the men and the boys of the church know that they have a role to play in the world that hasn't passed the, a biblical role to play in the family, in the church, and in the world that is that is not simply antiquated. Hmm. Likewise, our cultural moment is one in which um, women are, um, it's hard to preach uh, and to speak negatively about women, period. It just yeah. is. Um, and I, I can't put my finger on why, but it, but it is. So, if the family is struggling and if Christian marriages are in crisis and if churches are dealing with um, increasingly difficulties in, in doing ministry in a, in a pluralistic society or in a secular world, and I think all that's true, then I can't shortchange uh, the women of the church when there is placarded in front of them a biblical role model who is such a vivid example of God's transforming grace, which was my third point. Mm -hmm. And um, and she's, she's not just redeemed by the author of Hebrews. I mentioned in the sermon, I mentioned that Peter himself, I think I mentioned this, Peter himself redeems her when he calls all Christian women to be daughters of Sarah in the way they submit to, listen to, and support their husbands. Mm. So, now Peter's a 2,000-year-old patriarch, not nearly as, a, as acceptable, and presumably his beard isn't as long either. <laughs> but 
Peter's Peter's writing in the New Testament, mm -hmm. and in our conversations about Peter, and maybe even on that text, First um, Peter three, we have lots of modern theologians bending over backwards to try to rescue Peter from saying anything that's offensive to the women. So including the fact that he doesn't mention creation like Paul does. So this is clearly a, an accommodation to Roman, Greco-Roman norms where submission by women to men would have been the least offensive way for a Christian to operate in a society that had knew nothing about Jesus except that he was a crucified criminal. You know? So rehabilitating Sarah for a modern mind and... Um, that necessitated editing out lots of other parts of the story. Mm. Second Timothy three sixteen, all scripture is God breathed. That's true. And profitable for teaching. Right. So um, I take that to mean all scripture and maybe I, I haven't read it in the greek i wouldn't know what i was reading if even if i did but i presume that paul's word there literally means all so um we don't pick and choose the debate on that text and this is a side point but it's it's relevant is uh what is scripture graphe what, what, are, what are the writings that paul is referring to that are that are breathed out by God, Theopneustos, God breathed. And the question is, is it both the Torah, the Old Testament, and the Gospels and the Apostolic Epistles, the Pauline Epistles, his own Epistles, the Petrine Epistles, the Revelation of John, or is it simply the Old Testament? Because when Paul would have written that in, in, in Timothy's time, the New Testament was, was still, in a sense, being written, mm -hmm. including yeah, the very letter that he was writing at that moment. Right. And um, the, the Reformed evangelical answer is, Paul knew that he was writing scriptures. Paul had access to the Gospels or reliable reports about the Gospels. And... Paul uh, knew that the other apostles, particularly James and John and Peter, were given apostolic authority to write scriptures because in scripturating the word and deed of Jesus is embedded in the whole concept of a new covenant. So he would never have, it would never have been an afterthought. Oh, we need to quick put a little gold star in this thing so that we have something to appeal to. Right. So that's that's tends to be the kind of the reformed reply to that question. Point being, at the very least, it includes Genesis twelve to twenty five, the life of Abraham and right. Sarah. And what do we see in our text from Sunday? Is anything impossible for God? And so, a very simplistic answer is: if God wanted certain things to be part of His Word, His inspired written record. It, do you think that's not going to happen? And if it's right. not supposed to be, do you think it is right. going to happen? Like, right. you know, just being consistent with what we know of 
of God and what is possible or, um, so, so yeah, I, I just, I, I point that out just because it is a good reminder to me, first and foremost, I remind myself that, yeah, you know, reading numbers and Leviticus is just as important as reading Hebrews in a way. Um, there's an, there's things to be learned there. There is, but um, it's definitely not for the faint of heart. And I, I, I say all scripture is inspired by God and is useful and profitable, but not in every occasion. So if someone's dying in, in their last throes of, of, the last few gulps of oxygen on planet yeah, don't Earth. Don't read a genealogy. Is no, go to Romans eight. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, that's that's not paint with broad strokes, but that's also um, don't just skip over the hard parts. No, um, or the boring, quote unquote, boring parts, or the parts that are hard to understand. But uh, don't necessarily throw a new believer either down into you know some of the nuances of Melchizedekian priesthood. Right. So, again, why choose Sarah? I think she's a neglected character from the pulpit. I think her particular brand of femininity, which is tough. She's a tough... Um, uh, my pastor once described Elizabeth Elliot, or maybe she described herself this way, as a tough old broad. <laughs> so, Sarah is a tough old broad. Yeah. And she deserves to be heard and seen because she is not the flower that she appears to be in first Peter chapter three. Um, when she calls, by the way, this is an interesting point. She calls Abraham. This is not about first Peter three, by the way, but we're talking about Sarah. So I mm -hmm. think it's germane. Um, Peter says, Sarah called Abraham Lord and you will be her daughters. If you do likewise, well, the commentary on that text searches the Genesis account to find an occasion when Sarah calls Abraham Lord, and there isn't one. Yeah, we, we looked it up during... Well, there is there is one. But it, I don't think it's a direct quote, right, if I recall? It's, it's, it's in 18. It's not a direct quote. It's not like, and Sarah said, Lord. Right, you and, know. and then submitted to her husband. It was more like... Um, I think it's 18.6 or 18.9. Yeah, I'm looking. Uh, Did you, you find know, it? No, but I'm going to just look up the <coughs> reference in First Peter because it'll be faster at this point. I remember when we were doing the deeper cut in First Peter, we I don't know if we did it on air, but we looked this up. Phil. Um. It's, it's 12. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old. Right. Yeah. So, of course, just to clarify, Lord doesn't mean capital L like I'm worshiping my husband. Right. It's, it's more like our equivalent of sir or mister. Um, so it would be like, if, if your wife was thinking to herself, are you kidding me? After I'm old and, and Mr. Pasek is, is even older? Right. So it was a conventionalism. 
But by calling you Mr. Pasek, what your wife is doing is she's acknowledging the marriage bond and her, I won't say inferior in value, but in terms of the order in marriage, there is a, a, a prior, a first, mm-hmm. and a, a, an, an inferior, a second, not in value, but in sequence. Mm-hmm. There's a first and a second. I call it the A-10 warthog view of Christian marriage. There's a pilot and a navigator. One faces forward, one faces backward. They're both important. But not both of them can face forward. And if you have two pilots in an A-10 warthog, that plane isn't going very far. <laughs> and the pilots and the navigators, when you get them together, and by the way, I think they're mothballing the, the warthog, which is terrible for my analogy, because then i got to come up with a new one. But <laughs> they, they perpetually argue back and forth as to who's the more essential component for successful A-10 warthog missions. Is it the pilot who's more essential or the navigator? Of course, the navigator guys think that they're more essential and they have a, make a great case for themselves. Mm-hmm. And of course, the pilots think the opposite. So Sarah's inferior in that she's more like the navigator. She's facing backwards. And your wife, by calling you Mr. Pasek, is recognizing her auxiliary, supplementary support role in that relationship. And that's exactly what Peter is saying. He's saying, you're not the prophet. You're the prophet's helper. Mm. And that's not a bad thing. It's not like you're nobody. And God clearly speaks through women too, like there are prophetesses in the Bible. And and the beauty of Scripture is it's, it's un unflinchingly honest look at um, the beauty of our sisters who prophesy but it's often when the men are asleep at the wheel so when we've dropped our our prophetic role yeah so I, I think I think we need I think we need to take a look at Sarah and and that's that's what the, how the spirit led Um. I also think there's so many flaws of Abraham that it would be easy to go through the whole story of Abraham and just knock down the patriarch with one blow after another. And this is one place where Abraham shines a little bit, mm-hmm. where the man is actually doing what God wants him to do, face down worship. Matt Redman uh, <coughs> is a CCM artist that isn't so popular now. Ten years ago, he was like the thing, and he has a really cool little book called Face Down. Hmm. This is this is the posture of worship in the Bible, and Abraham gets it. Sarah doesn't. Um, dare I say it, it? It took a lot for for Abraham to get, to get there. I think. Oh, it sure, you know? did. Like he now, granted, and this was your first sermon in the series. Abraham's faith, God says, Abraham, go. What does Abraham do? He goes, you know. So with the father, with his what, you know, the whole family. So um, I'm not trying to knock out Abraham here either, but we've already mentioned he's tw- he almost didn't make it to Canaan because he kind of took that little detour in Haran that we talked about a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago. But he, he made it, and then as soon as he gets there, he get well, you know, famine let's get out of here you know i'm going to save my own hide egypt 
so on and so forth. So, so there's a lot that Abraham has gone through, a lot of grace that he has received from the Lord, even leading up to this point. And remember the visual aid, the, come on, son, t- take a look at the stars. Right. You know, this is sort of the proverbial father wrapping his arm you know, the warmth and the weight of your father's arm on your shoulder. That's mm-hmm. like every boy's dream. Mm-hmm. You know, every seven-year-old boy. But once you're 17, not so much. But I think there's a little boy inside all of us that want our father to put his arm around us in uh, gentle wisdom, the, the quiet strength, assured faith of a dad. Mm. And that's kind of the, the picture I get anyway, and this is some sanctified imagination going on i fully admit but almighty god our heavenly father throws his arm around abraham and says see son see these stars you can't count them and yet that's how that's how blessed you're going to be Hmm. and then the son looks up to dad and says yes daddy Hmm. and it's reckoned to him as righteousness that's how i reconstruct that and but that's a lot of help yeah abraham in this reconstruction, literally he's being led by the hand to faith. Yeah. So it's not like it's his inclination. His inclination was to complain and to point out Eliezer of Damascus. Right. And God just smiles and shakes his head and says, no, it's, it's going to be better than that. It's Sarah. Right. Sarah. And, and let me show you how I'm going to do it. Right. He was caught by surprise. He was. But this week, Sarah was caught by surprise. Yeah. yeah. Well, Abraham was too, because his laughter, I'm calling it a holy laughter. Are, you're not old enough to remember the, the holy laughter movement of the 90s, are you? I don't know, no. So this is not a pen- ringing a bell. This is a me. Pentecostal movement. It started in Toronto, and uh, people were kind of bursting out laughing as part of their worship service, literally rolling in the aisle with with paroxysms of laughter. And um, I, I challenge our listeners to find another podcast where paroxysms of laughter as a phrase is mentioned. <laughs> so we, we want to give you your money's worth here. I got to put that in the, the episode summary somehow. Yes. Yeah. So it's Googleable. <laughs> so AI picks up on it. And our, our stock will rise. Oh, man. Uh, we might gain one extra listener out of that, Phil. Just maybe. Well, one at a time. <laughs> one at a time. You see the stars in the heavens, Tim? Yeah. So shall your listeners be. <laughs> be careful, Phil. The difference being that God is the one who put those stars in the heavens. And I have to imagine when Abraham heard God say that, it, it wasn't just look at the number and try to count them. It was look remember at the creator. who created those look stars. Look at the creator. That's a really good point. And I think that's part of our, we, we went over the five points of Calvinism, but um, part of our commitment to our theology of grace is its irresistible nature. When you're in the presence of the one who made you, everything makes sense. Mm. All of a sudden, everything makes sense. Mm. And you can't always explain why. Like, why do I believe? I'm I'm not sure how I got here, but I'm glad I'm here. Yeah. And 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 what didn't make sense before makes sense now. And as the saying goes, the penny has dropped. So. So, 
Sarah is um, has Sarah been rehabilitated for uh, the, the modern here or at least have we have we made a little bit of a move in that direction Tim or what were your takeaways <coughs> from the message yeah well I mean honestly I, for me personally I didn't think Sarah needed rehabilitating okay but I see the the point that you're 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 making with that. Um, I think calling our attention to Sarah is um, not just helpful; it's necessary, right? And 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 that's in that um, so much is said about Abraham, and rightfully so as the patriarch and and all of his foibles and issues and things like that and sarah kind of sits there i don't want to say in the background she has her part in the narrative for sure and she's mentioned by name in multiple places in the new testament but i don't think we we might not give her the due that she deserves as the matriarch mm -hmm. in this way um and I think we all are, I was, I was trying to kind of subtly make the point when we were talking about Abraham and his, he kind of laughed in, in a holy, worshipful way, but it, it took him quite a, a lot to get there. Yeah. And, and even then it wasn't without fear because there was some anxiety for Ishmael and a dad's heart is forever attached to his oldest son, mm -hmm. no matter how he was conceived. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, his first response is to laugh and say, oh, that Ishmael could walk before you. Right. And God said, no. No, not going to do it. Uh, my promise will proceed in ways that El Shaddai, that contravene natural human formed human comprehensible plans yeah i'm going to advance the seed of the woman in ways that defy biology and human ingenuity and that rewards faith that's amazing mm -hmm. that's amazing to me it really does set up uh um who are, Jesus saying, who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters, those who hear the word of God and obey it. We already have that going on, that kind of the primacy of the spiritual family over the natural family in the promise given to Abraham. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, Going back to your question um, about Sarah and you preaching about her, you know, I, I, I can relate, I guess is a good way to put it. I think we all can, you know, like, I don't get it. I, there's no way, you know, I, why do I bother trying, <laughs> you know, when, when, when every, the deck is stacked against you or you get into one of those woe is me situations or just things seem daunting or impossible and you're ready to kind of throw in the towel and 
Um, that doesn't mean that a miracle is going to happen every single time or be guaranteed or something along those lines. But I do think that we often, to use a very common um, idiom, we put God in a box, mm-hmm. you know, and it's whatever size we decide to make it. But the fact of the matter is that um, God is the creator and <laughs> we are the creation. Mm-hmm. And there's no way we could ever put him in a box. And in fact, there is no, <laughs> you know, our our conception of God is not even large. Our brains are not created in a way, made in a way by him to be able to to, to truly conceive of who he is and how big he is. And it's only by his grace that he has shared with us his communicable attributes so we can understand to whatever extent he wants us to, you know, who he is and how great he is and how gracious he is. And that's the, come here, Abraham, look up at the sky, you know. And we don't even really get that. I don't think, you know, I think that goes over our head to some extent. Um just that that god would do that and has done that kind of thing for each one of us who have faith in him we talked about that last week right so so it's good it's good to be reminded it's good to look back on one of the the mothers of the faith um and to see god's redemption in her you know, the, the blessing talked about, you brought it up again this week, the, the definition of blessing. It's this, what is it? The, a word that sums up God's plan to restore the lost, something like that. But I, I modified it a little bit this week to say God's plan to, to fix all that is broken. So it's not just about saving individuals and restoring individuals, but it's a restoring of individuals back to their original purpose. And I think Baldwin's definition encompassed that. Yeah. And I mean, you could just slap Sarah's, if we knew what you look like, slap her face right next to that definition. Right. Because, you know, Eve, before the fall, um, barrenness wouldn't have existed. Right? That's a result, in my opinion, of... It sin. Is. Oh, for sure. So this, this is a this is a a hundred percent God intervening reversal of our our sin getting yeah, in the way. Yeah, I mean, barrenness could there isn't a better word to stand as opposite the creation mandate Maybe, exactly. to be fruitful and multiply and. It's perhaps an underappreciated outflow of the curse, which is in pain you will conceive child, you will conceive children. That's what God said to Eve. And Sarah eventually conceived, and I'm sure that the birth pangs were painful, but the decades of pain that she experienced while she awaited conception. And not everyone is as blessed as Sarah. There are women who never conceive. Mm -hmm. And that's... Likewise, the pain of childbirth is the longing to be a mother is there. Um, And what about miscarriage? Mm. You know, that's another aspect of barrenness is 
okay, I conceived, but I didn't deliver the child. The right. child has preceded me into glory. Yeah. God is so good to us. Mm-hmm. He is. And we're, you know, to kind of put it bluntly, like Sarah, Sarah deserved barrenness. Not that she had done anything explicitly to, to bring that about, but just she, she's a daughter of Eve. A sinner. Yeah. A sinner. Under and, the curse, that's right. And we, we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, Abraham, there's nothing that the Bible tells us about him that would have warranted any type of favor in God's mm -hmm. eyes whatsoever. Um, and yet, you know, we have God's, <laughs> you know, enormous amount of grace that is given to this family. And not only that, but that grace, as he said, and he kept his covenant, has proceeded through that family. He's blessed all peoples of the world through that family. So, yeah. So we have three sermons in in the barn, so to speak, harvested and collected, and sheaves are bound, and um, they're ready to go to market, which is to say, to be put to use in the lives of those who heard it, mm. without explicitly meaning to. Although I kind of did. We've got three sermons that said in three different ways, God's grace is the most important and defining feature, needs to be the most important and defining feature of my life. Uh, Abraham's faith, Abraham's blessings, and now Sarah's laughter, all three messages kind of ring that bell in different ways. The only way that could be true with with all this, the study that went into those messages and not even pointing to just the, you know, books and books and books and countless scholarship that that supports them, and the lives. Yeah, that, I'm I'm looking at the books. Yeah, <laughs> so the, the the lives that that have been dedicated to studying these texts. Um, that's the thread that holds the story together. Hmm. Is the the un unmerited grace of God? I wanted to read this. Speaking of books, here's. A really helpful little volume, Graham Goldsworthy, According to Plan, subtitled The Unfolding Revelation of God in the Bible. So highly commend this, this book for someone who wants to understand uh, at least one scholar's take on the organic, redemptive, historical nature of Scripture. But Goldsworthy says, this is page 122, and I, I don't often read quotes in our podcast, but I think Hopefully our listeners can, can follow this. It's, it's a few sentences. He says, One important biblical theme intertwined with the history of Abraham and the covenant is grace. As with Noah, there is nothing special about Abraham that deserves the goodness of God in calling him into these blessings. All we know of him is that he lives among pagan peoples and responds with obedience and faith to the call of God. We know nothing of Abraham's faith and knowledge of God before this. There is no hint 
that God was responding to Abraham's goodness. On the contrary, the narrative is brutally honest in its warts and all portrayal of the patriarch. Hmm. He's not above lying about his wife on two separate occasions in order so he thought to preserve his own life. In so putting his marriage with Sarah at risk, he shows lack of faith in God's promises and actually works to undermine the promise that Sarah would be the mother of the promised descendant. It is clear from the narrative that we cannot see God's goodness to Abraham as deserved. Rather, the biblical picture of God's free and sovereign grace is emphasized. Mm. So we talk about Christ-centered preaching. We don't have to try to preach grace. We just need to preach the story. Yeah. And if we're honest in the story, then grace is what leaks out. And I think sermons that focus on preaching grace can miss that. And this is, a, a, relatively speaking, a young preacher speaking. I'm not speaking with authority here, but that's a hunch that I have. And... Um, I'm not trying to be arrogant and a know-it-all, like I've heard all sermons, and I can weigh in like a, like a father in the church. But um, I have a hunch, as a, as a relatively speaking, a young man in the church, that trying to preach grace-based sermons will miss the mark sometimes. Um, preaching the story of Scripture inevitably rings the bell of grace in all of its beautiful tones mm. so that it won't be boring, it won't be predictable, and it will regularly catch us off guard because we'll see elements in the story that we just never noticed before. And that's, I think that's been my, my target here. Yeah. I think that's true, Phil. I would agree with you. God, God's grace and his plan doesn't just come about like in... It's not vanilla. Mm -hmm. It's within the context of people's lives, and if you're listening, then you're a human, and you know how how nuanced and difficult, messy, and connected your life is. And even though we don't know every single thing that Abraham said or thought or did, he was just like he and Sarah were just like you. Like mm -hmm. they had a full life, and that's the life that God worked through so in preaching a somewhat disagreeable message in which i'm calling women to an ideal that in some way sarah uh <laughs> i would say sarah fails to live up to the ideal which she has later come to embody mm -hmm. it's it's I, it's hard to describe that in words but i think you know what i mean Sarah has become the ideal, 1 Peter 3, daughters of Sarah. She's now the ideal for all Christian women, according to the apostle. And yet, when you dip into the story, she doesn't seem to live up to it at all. <laughs> so, um, and I know that, that the modern woman does not want to be called the daughter of Sarah in any sense, like what Peter is talking about. Hmm. Submit to your husbands without words and, you know, no braided hair and put those earrings away and, <laughs> um, you know, do the dishes. 
because that's what Peter meant. Clearly, he meant yeah. mm -hmm. do all the dishes and all the cooking and all the ironing <laughs> on your knees. Wax those floors. <laughs> we can have a conversation just, afterward on whether you want me to edit this part out, Phil. I'm just having fun now. I'm just joking. Um, so... But when you when you actually read the story of Sarah, um, she's she's a tough old broad to refer refer to that previous phrase, and uh, she's she's not to be messed with. And Abraham just rolls over. Now maybe Hagar was a pretty little thing, and so that made it easy. It's like oh, all right, I'll, I'll give that a try. But in, in any event. Uh, Sarah's not to be messed with, not to be trifled with. She's, mm. she's not a, a, a wilting wallflower. She's, she is present and to be accounted for, um, a force to be reckoned with. Mm. So she's, she had to really, really learn. Um, why deprive a modern woman the same experience by cutting off the sharp edges of Scripture and presenting to her some watered-down, um, <coughs> dare I say, neutered version of the truth of God's Word, which is calculated to offend exactly no one. And I still was pulling some punches. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. my wife, when she heard that section when I was appealing to the women to, to, you know, to do their part, uh, she said, Boy, you, you, you got in and you got out. You just kind of, you set it down. You said, take a look at it, and then we're moving on. And I, and I did. I didn't, I didn't dwell on it. I wasn't beating anybody over the head, but yeah. I was trying to give the sister or the mother or the daughter of Sarah who was listening something to chew on that wasn't expected, that wasn't necessarily welcomed, mm. that wasn't, appreciated. Uh, it wasn't calculated to offend. It was simply calculated to be explicit. Um, not Certainly not in the same way, but what you just said sounds a lot to me like God's call to Abraham. It was not expected. It probably wasn't appreciated. It certainly wasn't something that he was wasn't like, convenient, oh, he, he wasn't so looking for it. No, it wasn't yeah. convenient. It was pretty good in um, and, and it And it it goes back to, um, I've been thinking a lot about it, so I'm going to bring it up again, but your, I think it was your second point last week. God's favor, God's way. Mm -hmm. And it's something I, I've been thinking a lot about because I really struggle with my definition or my perception of um, success or blessing or the good life or, you know, insert word there as opposed to what God would say or what God would think about that. And I, th I think where we bristle at what the scriptures have to say for us, um, whether that's for, for everyone alike or if it's a, you know, a, a, something that a husband or a father needs to take into account, um, or a wife or a mother needs to take into account. We don't want God's way. We want our way. 
I always want my way. All the time. And when that doesn't align neatly with God's way, which is quite often in mm -hmm. my life, mm -hmm. then, yeah, I, I don't want to hear it. And if I hear it, you know, it's gonna, I'm not going to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And often it's unexpected because I'm not even trying to think that way. I'm not even attempting in mm -hmm. my petulance of being a child, not like I'm just going to ignore. Like I didn't hear it. If I didn't hear it, then I don't have to mm -hmm. acknowledge it or even attempt, feign an attempt to do anything about it. And so I think that's where it gets difficult. And that's where um, I appreciate you, your gentle, humble boldness to, to, to preach the Bible, to preach. And this goes back to me bringing up 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture, all not scripture, just the sure. easy things. Let's not just talk about... Sarah in in First Peter three. Let's talk about Sarah in Genesis eighteen when she laughed and God said, "Why did you laugh?" <laughs> you know, like that's important that we look at both of those sides of Sarah because again, we're we're like that, mm -hmm. you know. So if we if we only look at our, if we only look at the best part of ourselves, then we're not being very honest, you know. I in Boyce's sermon on this, which I showed you before we uh, started the recording here, but also, um, so he he says, sin is serious. Speaking of Sarah's sin, he said sin is serious, and then he said sin leads to other sin. Mm. <laughs> so. Sarah's sin of unbelief, which Boyce says is serious. I, I liked how Dr. Boyce phrases that, and um, I didn't read that sermon before I preached it. I read it afterwards. Right. I'd be tempted to copy it if I'd read it beforehand <laughs> because he's a great preacher. But um, um, I so appreciate Dr. Boyce saying that this woman's sin is serious business. A, mm. it's sin, and it's serious sin. Mm. He's, you know, not, not every commentator was as honest about that passage as Jim Boyce was. And then, but he, he also noted, which is so helpful, and I think the women need to hear this. Obviously, men need to hear it too. But in this case, we have a woman, an exemplar in the Bible, so let's let's direct it to the ladies. Your serious sin of unbelief leads to other sin. Hmm. So don't trifle with sin. When you see the promise, hear the promise of God, when you see God's pattern for your life, when you see his call on your life to your point, follow it because your unbelief in the call and the promises of God leads to other sin and the complications in your life. Um Yes, largely flow from many, many disappointments related to men failing you. I agree. <laughs> I agree. But uh, you're not defined by the men around you. You're defined by God. And, and God calls you to believe his promise because he's going to mm -hmm. do something remarkable in and through you. And you're... You, you're going to laugh and, and not in a skeptical way very <laughs> soon. You're going to be, you're going to say, by the way, tangent, do you see any echo in the, in the story of Ruth here? 
This is part quiz, part curiosity. Um, There's a name a change. Question. Yeah. Remember the name change in Ruth? Ruth's mother-in-law is named Naomi. Naomi, yeah. But when she comes back from Moab, she says, and Naomi don't, means something like happiness or yeah, laughter. Yeah, don't call me no, no, Naomi. Naomi, me Mara, which means right. bitter. Right. That's her changing her, <laughs> yes, her name. It yeah. is. Yeah. But she's defining her circumstances. Yeah. Herself by her circumstances. And I think a lot of women have, have struggle with that. Hmm. They feel that God's named them Naomi, but they've uh, the the uh, the sister or the mother has renamed herself Mara, mm -hmm. and Sarah effectively renamed herself Mara, hmm. not Sarai uh, or Sarah. So she, she certainly wasn't experiencing a princess life. She felt, if, if anything, like the the reject. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a good example of Ruth. And she was faithful. It was her mother-in-law. It wasn't and even her mother. <laughs> I know. It is. And, and so, of course, Naomi, by the end, holds the baby, and she's Naomi again. Yeah. Yeah, I always got a little uneasy by the end of that. She seems to take a whole lot of credit there she for, does. for for being kind of the uh, well, it's in it's, a way the a, antagonist in yeah, the story. It's, it's a grandma, you know. <laughs> grandmas probably take more credit than they should, but we, we let them get away with it because they're grandma. Yeah, yeah. Nana. Well, Tim, what what else can we cover? I mean, we've. <laughs> I mean, I, th kind I think of, we covered it all, Phil. I, I don't know if there's we, anything else to be said. If, if by that you mean this is like a Jackson Pollock where we're flinging paint at the canvas <laughs> in some random patterns. I think he probably even had more of a plan than we did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and certainly his work will be much more appreciated probably. Than, than ours. But um, no, it was, it was, uh, I, I love... I love coming over and, and doing these recordings because I never know kind of where we're going to end up, but it's always such a helpful. I'm, I'm not even going to give you the credit, Phil. It's just helpful to think through the sermon mm -hmm. with somebody. It certainly is very helpful to me to think through it with the person who preached it and who has spent many hours <coughs> reading commentaries and studying it. But, um, and that's, one of the reasons why I really wanted, and I think you, you agreed, to do the podcast is to give people in our church in particular an opportunity to chew on what was preached and to think mm -hmm. about it and to not just let it kind of sit on the vine. Mm -hmm. It grew on the vine on Sunday and it just sat there and decayed, right? you know, and, and then right. it turned into wine. Um, so... And, you know. and don't forget how helpful it is to me to um, process the message in a conversation with you because the sermon itself is in preparation is a conversation with the Lord in my heart. That's difficult. Yeah. That's often painful where I'm wrestling, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I look forward to preaching that text, by the way, Jacob wrestling with the angel <laughs> in, uh, later on this fall. 
So uh, heads up, put a pin on that one. That's going to be a good one. Um, but then when I get to dialogue with you about the message, because you're such a good listener, it helps me to continue the growth process that I go through every week. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in, in a, just in a real brotherly way. And it's, 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 it helps me to keep growing in, in my faith too. Um, Polly preaches a sermon back to me throughout the next week when she reminds me of what I preached and how I'm not living it, by the way. So <laughs> you're not the only one that talks to uh, me about the sermon. Well, that's good. I mean, that's God's plan for... Um, that's His grace to us. Mm-hmm. You know, his Word going forth, and taking hold of us in our lives, in our hearts. And as an aside, it's part of the role of a pastor's wife uh, not preaching in a technical sense, but certainly exhorting me biblically to live up to the gospel that she knows I believe. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I would encourage uh, our listeners not just to be not just to be listeners on Sundays, and not just to be listeners even whenever you listen to the podcast, but to engage your spouse, Mm -hmm. other people from our church or friends, maybe even a neighbor um, who doesn't go to church. Hey, you know, uh, for all of you Mercy Hill um, attenders and members out there, I'm speaking to you. We have a really, really good preacher and our pastor, and um, you should not just let the word like I just said, die on the vine. It's probably not a great analogy, but um, do something with that. Allow God to use that in your life this week for his good and for his glory and for your good. You know, you will find blessing. That That's God's word is a blessing to us in, in the very definition that we've been using the past two mm-hmm. weeks. Um, it restores us. Hmm. So it rescues us. Um, it reconciles, I prayed this yesterday in my pastoral prayer, reconciles our sinful hearts to a holy God. So hopefully you've been blessed by the conversation today. I thought it was really good. Are we going to get to any other matriarchs in the series, do you think? I'm going to talk about a couple when I hit, because Isaac's going to come up twice. Mm-hmm. He's a little bit of the hidden patriarch because he's known more by association with his father, mm-hmm. his wife, and his son than he is <laughs> with himself. So he's typical middle child. <laughs> Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham and Jacob get a lot more yeah. ink than Isaac does. So Isaac comes up twice. Next week we'll see Isaac in the Mariah incident. Mm-hmm. and um, But when we come... The following week, I'm endeavoring to speak about Christian courtship in Isaac and Rebecca. That's probably not what's going to happen, but I'll just throw that little uh, soundbite <laughs> okay. out there to see if I can get any nibbles. Oh, we'll see. We will see. Very good. <laughs> so Rebecca will come up 
in, in her relationship with Isaac and the way they found one another and the implications that has for our lives as far as, you know, we're learning from the examples of the patriarchs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And God desires uh, the, the covenant to continue in our, in our dating and dating lives and marriage lives. Yeah. So. Good. Things to look forward to. Um, it's been great so far. I think it's going to be a really fun series for the rest of the fall. Um, but yeah, if, hopefully you've enjoyed our conversation today. Those out there who are, are checking in, um, if you haven't, this is way too late in the podcast to be saying it, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you didn't listen to the sermon, <laughs> hopefully you would have stopped by now. Um, but if, if you just powered through the podcast, please go back or, or maybe give it a second listen. I always listen to the sermon at least twice now. Um, thanks to the podcast. It gives me another reason to queue it up on a Monday morning or a Thursday morning and listen to it a, a second or a third time. So I'd really encourage you to do that. <coughs> we have two plush, inviting seats on the couch in the studio that are empty yet again today. Uh, Rocky decided to, to perch on the, on the ground as, uh, is his usual position. So if you'd like to fill one of those seats in an upcoming week, we would love to have you. Um, and we will do our best. I know it cause we've done it before. We will come, we will accommodate you. We will find a time. If, if there's a time that works for you, we will make it work for us. So we'd love to have you, um, but if, if listening in um, while you're mowing the lawn or driving in the car is your thing, then thank you for doing that. Um, thanks for your support and your prayers for us. And Phil, thank you for your conversation again today and just for your preaching. What a blessing, both uh, on Sunday and in this conversation today. So, Amen. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you again next week on The Deeper Cut. <laughs>